That song means a whole lot. He made us flawless. It's a gift that he has given to us. Let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you have given to us, for making us righteous, for giving to us that gift of grace. We pray that you'll work in our hearts and remind us that that righteousness you have given to us, you expect us to walk in it, and you expect us to show it to the world around us, that others may see you in us and desire the same thing we have. In Jesus' name, amen. This was a hard message to prepare this week. There's a lot in there. Um, last week we looked at the great faith chapter in Hebrews. From this chapter, the author of Hebrews looks at all the heroes of faith, giving us example after example of people who put their trust in God and gained approval. The preacher reminds us to follow the example of this great cloud of witnesses. Those who walked in faith, he starts off by reminding us of those who by faith obtained the reward while they were still alive and then continued by telling of those who in spite of not seeing the reward still walked in faith. This leads us to chapter 12, verses 1 to 17, where the preacher encourages us to walk in faith and endurance. The theme of these verses is endurance. As we look back at this cloud of witnesses, we see they walked in faith for their whole lives. Some lives were long and some were short. But once they started in faith, they continued to the very end of their lives. This is what the preacher expects of us to do. We are to continue in faith to the very end. Remember, the city they called home was invisible. In the future, the architect and builder was the Lord himself. Faith reminds us to walk in self-discipline. In Hebrews 12:1, we read this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice the analogy of a race. This is not a mere sprint, but a marathon. This is why he spent so much time telling of those who walked in faith their whole lives. Looking forward to that reward, which comes not in the here and now, but in the future, when they go to be with the Lord. 
Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. He said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I may not be disqualified. That's a pretty scary thing to hear Paul say. After I've done all this, I'm still disciplining myself so that I won't be disqualified. In disciplining ourselves to run the race, we are to do something very important. We are to throw away everything which will encumber us. That's what it said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The preacher gets very specific about what it is that tangles us up and hinders us as we run. What is it? It is sin. So we are to throw out some of our sins, right? Hebrews 12, 1 makes it abundantly clear. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Many a swimmer has gotten tangled up in the weeds only to be pulled under to drown. This is what Satan wants to do to each and every one of us. If there is something that is holding you back in your walk with Christ, or should I say, pulling you under, you need to examine it like David in Psalm 139, 23, and 24 and ask the Lord, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. And know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. We all need to have that prayer as our constant companion. We all need to say, search me, God, and tell me when I am wrong. Hebrews 12.2 continues, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
The first thing we see in these verses is faith's focus. Where are we supposed to be looking? Jesus. The word that is translated fixing your eyes means to view with undivided attention by looking away from every other object to regard fixedly and earnestly. Should we be looking at the scenery as we go by, as we go along? In answer to this question, I wanted to read the story about the time Peter walked on the water. This is the time when Jesus sent the disciples ahead in the boat so he could stay behind and pray. While the boat was far from shore and being battered by the waves, here comes Jesus walking on the water. And after Jesus reassures the terrified disciples, we read this in Matthew 14, 28 to 31. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you in the water. He said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When did Peter start to sink? When he took his eyes off Jesus, when he was not focused on Jesus. He was not paying attention to what he should be. When we fix our eyes on him, he is the one that can work in us. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the example of the life lived in perfect faith. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Paul never told us to imitate him just for the sake of imitating him. No, he was saying, as I reflect Christ, follow that example. Paul was saying two things when he did that. He was saying, first, it is possible because I can do it. Paul was a man just like we are. But he was also saying, follow Christ. How do children learn from their parents? They imitate. They watch. They watch their parents and they imitate what their parents do. And sometimes we wish they wouldn't because we can be such poor examples. I'm sure with little children, Jesse and Alva are, are aware of the times when they do things just like them. 
And we've seen that in our own children. But it is always safe to imitate Christ because he is the perfect example. The second thing we see in these verses is faith's consideration. In verse 3 we are told, Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The word consider means to consider attentively or think carefully. When the author of Hebrews tells us to carefully consider or pay close attention to Jesus, he is telling us to imagine the pain and the suffering he went through that we might have access to the Father. This is not to make us feel guilty for causing him such pain, but to remind us that if he suffered all of this for us, we can trust him to bring us through the most difficult situation. When we carefully consider his mercy towards us, we can come to only one conclusion. Paul put it this way in Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So here we see three things we must do to grow in faith. First, we must focus on him. Second, we must follow his example and imitate him. And third, we must carefully consider what he has done for us and what it cost to do it. Faith encourages us in God's discipline. This was very hard for me to go through. The Lord spoke to me a lot about this one. And it was hard to write it. I can imagine these believers in this epistle was originally written to being somewhat shell-shocked after so much persecution. Here they are, and that's why he wrote this, was to encourage them to remain steadfast in the difficult situation. And I can even sympathize with them as they must be thinking that question so aptly put in the famous Charlie Brown song, why is everybody always picking on me? But the preacher continues by reminding them in verse 4 to 6. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding in blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. 
and he scourges every son whom he receives. Here the author of Hebrews is reminding us of Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. And I did want to read this. It says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. When we go through difficult times, I was reminded that those difficult times are to work in us something. It is to work on us His holiness. It is to work in us His righteousness. That is why He puts everything in our path. That we may become like Him. This is where things get difficult. Nobody wants to think the, to think too hard about the Lord's discipline. It may be a fact of life, but like religion and politics, nobody wants to talk about it in polite company. I don't think I have ever heard someone say, Hey, I had a great day today. I did something especially bad and God disciplined me for it. But here we are being reminded that God's discipline is proof that we are his children. In verses 12, 7 to 11 we read, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciples us, disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. There's that thing. He disciplines us to make us holy. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Every time I read these verses, I am forced to ask myself, have I neglected my relationship with God? Am I hearing him speak to me? telling me that I was wrong. You need to throw that behavior out. We are all sinners. And we all must not grow complacent, all wrapped up in his grace, all the while ignoring his promptings. 
Pretty soon his promptings will come less and less often as we build calluses on our consciences. We come to a point where we don't seem to hear him anymore. First John teaches us that our love for the brethren is proof to the world that we are Christians. Here we see that proof to ourselves within our own hearts that we are Christians is God's discipline. I told you it was going to be hard. Faith encourages us to strengthen our weakness that we may be healed. Hebrews 12, verses 12 and 13 say, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may, be put out of jo- may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Remember, we are not an island to ourselves. Hebrews 10.25 reminds us not forsaking our own assembling together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In keeping with encouraging one another, we should be working together as a body, protecting the weaker members until they are strong enough to stand on their own. No one can stand on their own, but we all can stand with Christ. There are times when we need help, and there are times when we need to be helping others. Faith teaches us what it is we should strive for. I like the way the English Standard Version reads verse 14. Hebrews 12, 14 in the English Standard Version says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There are two primary goals we should strive for. Peace with everyone and holiness. Romans 12, 14 to 18 remind us of the same thing. Here Paul tells us those things we should be doing in order to pursue peace with all men. Romans 12, 14 to 18. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And finally, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Notice what Paul is saying here. So far as it depends on you. 
He's not saying they have to reciprocate. He's saying, do your best from your side of the picture. Do everything you can to be at peace with everyone. We are also to strive for holiness. Here the preacher reminds us that with ho without holiness, no one would see God. In Hebrews 11.6, we saw that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we see that faith is the key to obtaining this holiness. And as that song put it up, that we sang, the cross is what makes us holy. The cross made us flawless. Without. That's because he gave us this gift. He put it within us. In Isaiah we are reminded that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It is only his righteousness, his holiness that will satisfy. This holiness is gifted to us through faith. Faith warns us not to come short of God's grace. Hebrews 12, 15 to 17 say this. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by it may be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears." The example of coming short of God's grace is Esau. This warning is sobering, to say the least. This passage harkens back to the Old Testament to remind us the very same warning Jesus gave us in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What frightens me most about this passage is that many people believe they will get to heaven, but they are not. I'm not talking about the obvious cases like people who belong to a cult or do not believe in Jesus. Those are people that to all outward... These are the people that to all outward appearances walk the walk and talk the talk. 
And even though they go to church and think they believe, they have not had that life-changing personal encounter with Jesus. The difference between Esau and Jacob was Esau did not value the blessing. Where Jacob valued it so much, he was willing to lie, cheat, and steal to get it. Of course, these actions did not get him the blessing. It wasn't until he wrestled with God and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Then God asked him his name, and he was forced to face the reality. His name meant liar, cheat, supplanter. And God, in his great mercy, blessed Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. That's in Genesis 32, 28. Why did Jacob prevail? Because he valued God's blessing above all else and stopped at nothing to get it. And that is what the author of Hebrews is getting at with us. We need to value the end goal more than anything else in this world. We need to value what God wants for us more than anything in this world. His blessing is more important than anything. And that's where we need to be. That is what will give us the strength to endure, even in the most difficult situations. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your grace is enough to make us righteous. And your Holy Spirit in our hearts is enough to give us the strength to walk each day. And we pray that you'll remind us to fix our eyes on you. That we might lay aside every burden and every sin in our lives that entangles us and that we will be ruthless in throwing out our sins, that we might pursue with all of our strength you and walk in your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.